I'm going to jump right in this morning. If you would have a seat, uh, thank you so much for being here. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor. We've got a video that we're going to show you a little bit later in the service. I, I just want to jump right in uh, right now. Um, you know, over the last uh, little bit, I have been working through some things, and one of those things is why does Outward exist? And why are we in this city? And why are we in the midst of this place right here and right now? And this is uh, going to tie in as we go on here, because today is kind of an interesting passage out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and it's talking about investing. It's talking about your money and how you invest it. But I want, I want to say first, like, why we exist as a church and why we're here. We're here as a church because there's a generation of people who communicate differently than former generations, and while our church is available to everyone, we want to communicate to this generation and the people who have not understood what church is about, who have not understood who Jesus really is. We want to be a church that is true to the gospel. And we believe that when we bring the truth of the gospel versus what people have perceived the church to be, when we bring people what the real gospel is, it takes them to a whole new level of what, of what really God is all about through Jesus Christ. It takes them to a whole different point in their life where they're saying, I, I had no idea that that was the case. I see this all the time. I see it through our church services when people say that to me. Well, I didn't really understand that. I see it with my next door neighbor when I tell them what the real gospel is. I see it online when I tell people the truth about what's actually going on. I read a post uh, or an article just this week that um, KGW, the news channel, posted on Facebook this last week, and it essentially says this, that Christianity as a whole is shrinking. Now, the reality is this, that all those who call themselves Christians are shrinking, but those who call themselves evangelicals are advancing. They're not necessarily keeping up with population growth, but the number of evangelicals is increasing all the time, which is good news because we would call ourselves evangelicals. But that word evangelical really brings out some difficulty in people's lives. And they say evangelical, the religious right, those people that believe this and they're hateful towards these people and, and so forth. Well, I got on there and I thought, you know, I'm going to try my hand and see what happens, how people respond to the real gospel. And so I posted something and I essentially said this, that there's a silver lining here to what's happening in our culture, that there's more people who are checking the box that says none when it comes to religion today than ever before. And what I said was this, is that there's been many, many people who have checked the box of Christianity simply because they are Americans. And what happens as a result is that we have people who claim to be Christians who, who are saying they're Christians and yet acting like something else. And so what takes place is this, is that these people who don't really have a heart that's changed by the gospel, who don't understand their own sinfulness, who come in with pride and arrogance, are people who offend our culture. We offend culture when we don't understand our own sinfulness. So many people say, I don't like this, this idea of this real Christianity because this idea of sinfulness. Well, listen, this is all that it is. It's humility that says this. I'm no better than the person who, in my mind, somehow I've come up with this idea that says that they're somehow less than me because they deal with a sin issue that I don't deal with. A real Christian is someone who recognizes their own inability to keep God's law. 
So much so that they say this, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot save myself. There's no way that, can, that it can come about. And so therefore, I need help. God says this, the only way to me is through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. I receive that. And as a result, what's, what takes place is salvation. And I get to bring humility to my culture. And so I said something along those lines, essentially saying the only way to come as a Christian is to recognize how wrong I've been, to recognize how wrong those of us who have called ourselves Christians and yet we weren't really Christians or we didn't really understand who Jesus was and that idea of humility and repentance, we need to apologize for this. People say, we shouldn't apologize for those types of things. You know, these people are just angry with us because we're Christians. No, we need to apologize. The reason why we need to apologize is this, is because horrific things have been done in the name of Christianity in the past. But here's the caveat. But we don't believe that that was Christianity. It was done in the name of Christianity, but we don't believe that that is real Christianity. What we believe is this. We believe that Jesus is something different. And you might say that you're a Christian, but if you don't understand Jesus, you don't have real faith. And so I had somebody get on there and said, who said, as an atheist, I just want you to know that it's awesome that you were able to find something positive in the midst of that article. Your religion needs more level-headed people like you. Now, that may be an insult, but I, I'll take it, all right? I'll take it. Probably the only person that's called me level-headed in a while, so... Here's the thing. I'm not here to toot my own horn. What I'm here to say is this, is that there's lots of people on that post that are posting horrific things, horrific things. Christians, people who call themselves Christians, posting horrific things. Our culture has every reason to believe that we're all the same. But you know what? We have an opportunity to bring something different. We have an opportunity to invest within the context of our society. We have an opportunity to be for our city. We have an opportunity to be a blessing to the people around us, not a curse. We have an opportunity to be loving with those, yes, even with those with whom we disagree. We get to be loving towards them. Even when they might say hateful things about us, we get to be loving back because of this. I was hateful towards Jesus. My sin put him on the cross. I essentially crucified the leader of my own religion, and yet he's gracious to me. How dare I bring pride and arrogance into my society, into my city, and somehow communicate that to the people around me when I didn't get into Christianity or into knowing Jesus through pride and arrogance. I got through with repentance, with humility, with an understanding of who, who Jesus is. Now, we're going to talk about money, all right? That's just, that's just a primer for, for what's coming here. Ecclesiastes 11 is essentially about investing. And you might say, what's the purpose of this? Because all truth is God's truth. God is the author of truth. And he is the one that brings truth to us. Now, there is truth in culture. We also recognize that as God's truth. Let me tell you some reasons why you may be prone to think, I don't really want to listen to this, because ultimately it's going to come down to how I spend my money and how I, um, how, how I give to God or give to the church, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to come down to that. We'll just, we'll just be upfront about it, but I just want to tell you this as well, that God cares how you use your finances, even the finances that you're not giving to God, 
but are the finances that are perceived to be yours and yet are still his. God wants you as a Christian to not be a moron and instead to be thinking this way. I mean, God is sovereign, but he has sovereignly also given me a brain to use to think through my life, to walk through my life. Many of you are in your 20s, and the thing that you haven't done is you haven't thought carefully about how you are going to support yourself in the future. There are many, many, many people who have lived with reckless abandon with their finances, and they will not be able to support themselves when they get into retirement. Many of you are, especially in your early 20s, you have to start now. Solomon, as the wisest man to ever live, is going to tell us some things, and he's going to say, this is what investing looks like. Now, Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, also talks about investing and being wise. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is talking about, practically speaking, what does it look like to invest your finances? What does it look like to invest your finances? Why would you want to do that? Because you're honoring God with your wealth. It is not honoring to God for you to not pay attention to what's going to happen in the future. That is not wisdom. That is not from God. That is Americanism. When God has blessed us with so much wealth that we can't even figure out what to do with it sometimes, we have residual spending money, which is basically unheard of in many parts of the world, and yet we refuse to take care of ourselves. We get to the end of our life, and we have nothing to show for it. We're dependent on the government. We're dependent on the people around us, which isn't necessarily a wrong thing to be dependent and to have the church help and so forth, but for you not to plan and to honor God with your wealth with maybe the little bit that you have right now is just plain dishonoring to God. Now, Christians need to begin their lives, their adult lives, by thinking ahead. This is honoring to God, and it's also helpful in the future. If you don't have money to share because you've been foolish with your finances, then how can you be generous with the people around you? Let me get to uh, Luke chapter 16 right now because I think it matters immensely. Jesus tells a story. In Luke chapter 16, verse 1, he says, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He was wasting the rich man's possessions, the manager was. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to him, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I've decided to do, I, I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50, cut it in half. You know who's watching out for you. Okay, here we go. And then he says this, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master, here's how the master responds. Here's how the guy responds who's losing money. He says, he commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now look at what Jesus says right here. 
He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The people of this world know more about managing their stuff, figuring out how to get along in life than the people of light, people who know Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, I think that's true. I think it's true because of this. There's Christians who say, you know what? I've been a pretty good person. Why wouldn't God take care of me? I'll just get to the end. People in ministry, especially pastors, are famous for this. I'll just get to the end and everything will be fine. I'll write a book or I'll, you know, somebody, somebody will take care of me. But th this is foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. Jesus says people from the world are more versed in this than those people who are Christians, people of the light. People of the world are more shrewd. They're more wise. They figure out how to make this stuff happen. Now, this is obviously an incorrect situation, and Jesus is not advocating for dishonesty within business. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, this guy thought ahead, and he thought, how am I going to make it later on in life? I'm too old to dig. I'm, I'm too embarrassed to beg. What am I going to do? And he looked ahead. And so Jesus goes on and he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now Jesus takes this and he says, this guy was, was wise in the way that he dealt with this and in turn, he helped himself in the future. And he's saying to you right now, he's saying, I want you to be wise today so that you can help yourself in the future. But as a Christian, we're not just thinking about the future here and now, like the end of my life, my natural life. We are looking at eternity. The promise of knowing Jesus Christ is that we live eternally. And Jesus is saying here Use your unrighteous wealth right here and right now. Deal with it wisely so that you can make friends for yourself so that when you get to the end of your life and the end of your natural life and you go into eternal dwellings, you're going to have friends that welcome you. And who are these friends? They're people that you've influenced through your investment. But let me tell you this. How can you do that if you have not been wise with the finances that you've been given. How can you use your finances for God's glory if you're not wise with your finances? If you're not figuring out ways to serve Jesus here and now, not just in the church, but in your, in your life with your neighbors, the people that you know, the people that you're helping. I was talking to a uh, someone from our church recent, recently, and I said, listen, the church can reimburse that. He said, oh, no, no, I've got a ministry fund too. He's, he's wise with his finances, and he says, I give to the church, but listen, I have a ministry fund that I'm using to serve Jesus with these finances. So Jesus is saying this, you get to use your finances to affect the world, to make friends, to win people to Jesus, so that when you get to eternity, when you get to heaven, you will have friends that welcome you when you come in. And there's going to be a celebration that just says, we're thankful for what you're doing. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's a pretty vague picture. But I just want to tell you that there is this idea here that says that they're going to receive you. They're going to welcome you into eternal dwellings. There's a sense in which there's going to be people who are grateful because you cared enough 
to spend your money wisely in a way that's going to serve your community. Now, this goes along with who we are as a church. Outward church exists so that we can be for our community and to communicate to them the reality of who Jesus actually is. And one of the best ways that we get to do that is through our finances. It's through the way that we personally are able to support ourselves so that we have more funds so that we're available to be able to help in certain situations, so that we can help in all of these situations. That's what this is talking about. And then he says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? If you haven't been faithful with the stuff that God has given you, who's going to entrust you with more? I mean, my, my hope as a Christian, my hope for our church is that we're people who are saying, I want more. I want more. I want more. Not, not because I just want more money. I want more of what God can do through the funds that he's blessed me with that are actually his funds. And I get to serve. I get to help. I get to be a part of this. True riches. Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can two, serve two masters. For either he, either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in money. You can serve the true and living God, or you can serve money. And some of you are saying, okay, either I have to live in abject poverty and never really have anything, never really value anything. I hope you've read through the rest of Ecclesiastes and you've been here for the sermons because what Solomon is saying is not that you should, be like, should look down on your possessions, but that you should enjoy the things that you have. You should enjoy the good things that God has given you. And so the answer here is not to be like, I'm just about God or I'm just about wealth, but it is to serve God with your wealth. It's to serve God with your wealth. Some of you are living in such a way that you are killing your future. You are racking up debt. Some of you are out of a job. There's extenuating circumstances your husband has left you, what have you. You're not sinful because of that. But some of you are acting sinfully. You're acting sinfully in this, in that you are sacrificing your future, your children's future on this, that you are going to have it all right now. You are serving wealth. You are not serving God. You're racking up credit card debt. You're getting in more and more debt all the time, and it's killing you. It's killing you. You're sacrificing your future. It's dishonoring to God. It brings you to a point where you have nothing to give here and now. The best thing that you can do is serve God with your finances and not serve yourself with your finances and have God on the side. That's not what this is about. So that's this. Let's move on to Ecclesiastes chapter... Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. You can be consumed with your work. 
and the quest for wealth, or you can live in poverty. You can either be consumed with your wealth or you can live with poverty. That is oftentimes the decision that many of us think that we have to make. I've got to support my family. I've got to be all about that. I've got to be, I've got to be working, got to be working, got to be, got to be working. That work ethic is good. But that work ethic is just serving you, and oftentimes it leads you to getting into more debt than you can handle. So there's sin there, but then there's also sin, which is, which is essentially laziness, procrastination, putting things off that you should be doing today. Many of you need to talk to a financial advisor. You need to get with someone older. You, you need to say, what do I need to do? Some of you who are just out of college, you need to go through Dave Ramsey's uh, Financial Peace University. I wish I would have done this 20 years ago. I wish I would have done that because I would have underst uh, understood many things, many things. Instead, many of us are either completely focused on our work and we're overworking, overloving it, or we underlove it. We don't value it enough, and so therefore we just live in comfort, which ultimately brings discomfort because you're paying off debt and it's going to ruin your life, it's going to ruin your marriage, it's going to bring a lot of headache. There is such peace in knowing we have finances, and we're able to serve our community with those finances. You might say, I don't really make enough. Let me just tell you, I believe that in many cases, we all make enough, and it's just the way that we spend it. It's the way that we choose to honor God with the little bit that we have or the lot that we have. So he says this, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What's that mean? Who wants soggy bread? Who wants... Some of that, not many of us. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Bread is a picture of money. Dough, right? Cast your dough upon the waters. Solomon is thinking in this way. He's a very rich man, and he's saying this. Make sure that you invest in other places, overseas. Cast your bread upon the waters. That signifies overseas trade. We'll translate that to, a, to ourselves here in a minute. But he's saying, invest in other things. Invest in other places. Make sure that you're thinking about the future. Make sure that you're uh, taking care of your finances in such a way that's saying, I am thinking about what's going to happen. You would do well to think about this on a regular basis. He's saying, cast your bread upon the waters. And here's the thing. Proverbs Chapter 13, verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Some of us are not thinking about our kids, much less our grandkids. But Proverbs 13, 22 says this, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The thing that we focused on is this. We focused on ourselves so much. Do I have enough to buy the brand new car? Do I have enough to get into this house at this level where I'm overextended, but I really want that house? Do I have enough? Do I have enough? And what happens is this, is that you're sacrificing your children and your children's children on that. But a good man is somebody who leaves an inheritance to those. So you should care because you get to honor God. You get to leave something for your kids and your kids' kids, and you have something to be able to serve God with. You have something to be able to do that. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. 
What's he saying? He's saying this. You're going to invest, but don't just invest in one spot. Invest in multiple ways. You have your job, which is an investment. You're, you're bringing in finances. Perhaps you have a 401k, or maybe you need to work on getting one. Perhaps you're looking at saving. Perhaps you're looking at what have you. It doesn't matter. But you are investing in multiple different ways because ultimately what he says here, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The next verse is also telling. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. What does he mean by this? He's saying, when we see clouds, and they're in the sky, and they're, coming, they're normally coming from the west over here, right? When we see clouds, and they are full of rain, they're dark clouds, we know it's going to happen. We know that rain is inevitable. We know that it's going to rain on us. Eventually, the summer's going to end. Eventually, the drought is going to end, or all of the sunshine that California hates so much at this point, and ultimately we do because our, our water levels are so low. But ultimately, it's going to rain again. We know this. We know it's going to rain. We know that trees eventually fall. We don't know which tree is going to fall, but that tree is going to fall, and it's going to sit there. Nothing's moving it. What's this mean? It means this. You need to invest in multiple different places. You need to make sure that you have diversified your investments, meaning this. You're not just waiting for your ship to come in. You're not waiting for a get-rich-quick scheme. You're not just going after just one thing, but you're thinking through many things. I've got a job. I've got investments. I have savings. I'm working in other areas. I'm trying to make sure that I have six or seven or eight different areas where I'm investing so that ultimately something pays off. And the truth is this, something bad is going to happen. You know, when you think about uh, bad investments... Uh, there was a company named Enron. It was similar to PGE, our local power company. And Enron uh, employees, many of them had all of their stock in one investment. All of their stock was in Enron. My brother, who's a financial advisor, he'll be up here in a minute to talk with us. But what he told me uh, earlier was this, was that everybody thought that this was a bulletproof investment. It's a utility company. They don't go away. I mean, PGE has been around forever, right? Well, Enron was the same way, and, and these people invested all of their life savings in there. He told me about, he knows at least three people that had 500000 in investment in this company, and when Enron went away, they went bankrupt, they lost everything. The clouds are going to be full of rain, they're going to dump on us. Trees are going to fall. You cannot have all of your investments in one place. Now, let me extend this. Jesus says this, the people of this world are more shrewd in the way that they're dealing with life. You've got to be shrewd in the way that you're dealing with your unrighteous wealth. And that means this, that you're not just taking care of yourself personally and the finances that you have, but you're also, your life doesn't end as a Christian. Eternity is in scope. Eternity is there. So you're not just investing in the here and now, but you're investing in the future. You have investments in what God is doing, and you deeply believe that God can work. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be thoughtful in the way that you invest. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be looking into the way that you invest into the church or the way that you invest into other people's lives. 
It means that you should have multiple investments, both personally and spiritually. You should be investing in multiple places. Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Either fear or laziness is going to get you. If you observe the wind as a farmer, yeah, it's a little windy. Ah, uh, it's just not right outside. Uh, you'll never invest. If you keep thinking, you know, I'm just going to put it off until things are just a little bit better. Let's just talking about your personal finances right now. I'm just going to put it off just a little bit longer before I start saving. I'm just going to put it off until I get through my 20s. You're 30. It, and it'll take even longer than that. If you put off saving, if you put off investing, you have lost massive amounts of time by investing. You have lost the ability to gain compound interest off of a small investment that will pay off huge, huge dividends in the future. Now, why would you want to have those dividends? It's so that you can be for your community, for the people around you. It's so that you can take opportunities to serve somebody who doesn't have enough. It's so that you can take opportunities to be able to serve within your community in a way that says this. Listen, all those other Christians can be a joke. Not all of them are, but a lot of them are a joke. I am different. I'm here to invest in you. Yeah, we disagree with some things. Yeah, you, you got a different lifestyle. There's other things going on in your life. That doesn't matter. Jesus has forgiven me wholesale. He didn't wait and say, hey, Matt, you better clean up your life before you come to me. No, he came to me and he said, I can only take you as is. It's only as is or it's nothing. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't get right enough. The only way is by grace. And so I graciously come into my life and I say this, I got bad service at the restaurant. So what? You get a 20% tip or a 30% tip. You get to say this. There's somebody from another religion who's suffering. And I get to help them in their life. I get to serve them. I get to show them the grace of Jesus. You don't believe like me? Who cares? I serve you anyway because Jesus serves me anyway. Jesus goes to the cross at deep sacrifice to himself. And to the Father. And he gives of himself. You get to serve within your community. When you've invested, you have residual finances so that you're able to serve other people. Fear or laziness is going to keep you from doing that. Procrastination, putting it off. Stop observing the wind. Stop saying, I'll do it next year. Stop saying, I can tell you from personal experience, I did not invest when I should have. I'm speaking to you as someone who says this. I've got an uphill battle. I do. I'm 38 years old. The reality of 38 is hitting me. I'm almost 39. Can you believe that? That's a year away from being elderly, right? <laughs> just kidding. Someone else in here has just turned 40 recently. I get to make fun of you for a little while longer, a year and a half. I'm 38. Uh, we didn't invest early 
I was horrible with my finances. Came into my um, marriage with $10,000 in debt from a business that I had started and I didn't keep up with my taxes and so I'm paying back the government, which is never a good place to be, by the way. And so I did pay it off. So I'm, I'm, I'm out of jail finally and, and whatnot. But, um, but that wasn't a great place to begin. I started in this place of behind the ball. But what's important is this, is that it's never too late to begin that way. And what my wife and I have found is that when we buckled down and we said, we'll sell anything, we'll do anything that we have to do to be able to get out of debt, especially out of credit card debt, and we'll begin to work towards uh, being financially stable. We tithed all the way through that, and it was really hard before, and now we're at a point where we get to say, how much more do we want to give? In part because we've made an investment that's actually paying off. And so we get to give more out of that. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because if it doesn't affect me, then why would I tell you to do something? I'm saying it's affected me. I believe this. And I believe that as a result, I get to honor God with the wealth that he's given to me. I get to honor God in that way, and I get to serve the local church, and I get to serve in my community as a result. I, we stopped putting it off, and we began to move. I stopped allowing fear to overwhelm me, and I began to allow trust to take place in my life, which is ultimately faith in God that says this, that I'm, I'm going to have so much faith in you that even today, I'm <laughs> what feels like personal risk, I'm going to risk my finances and give to you a portion and to give to you of my first fruits. I do that as your pastor, okay? I'm not immune to this. And so what's happened as a result is that somehow God has seen fit to, to bless us in some ways, and that's been fantastic. But I, I want to tell you this. I can't guarantee that you get blessing. I can't guarantee that everything's going to go exactly the way that you want it to. But I want to tell you what I've experienced, that God has blessed us as we've been more faithful both personally and the way that we've invested in the kingdom. Verse 5, as you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you also do not know the work of God who makes everything. The point is this. You don't know how God's going to work. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the wind's going to blow or it's going to rain or a tree's going to fall or whether Aunt, uh, Enron's going to collapse or whether, what, whatever's going to happen. You don't know what's going to take place. Stop letting fear overwhelm your life. Don't demand assurances that all of these things are going to work out perfectly. The point is to begin investing, both personally and spiritually. The point is to begin investing, to ensure your future and to ensure that you're making friends that are going to uh, welcome you into eternal dwellings to make sure that you're reaching your city, to make sure that you're changing the perception that people have of who we are. And it's not just about perception. It's this. It's the truth of who God is and what he's done and that as a Christian, I don't have to be an arrogant jerk. I really believe that much of this is, it's dependent on the spirit, but I also believe it's dependent on the way that we use our finances. The way that we use our finances. And then verse six says this. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. 
This means don't let off. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, but then uh, don't let off. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, continue to work. Continue to work throughout the day. It doesn't mean to overwork or to worship your wealth, but it means this. It means that many of you have abilities outside of your personal work. If a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, then what you may want to be doing is this, is working towards what's another way that I can bring income in? What's another way that I can do that? By honoring my family still, making sure that I'm available for them, especially as a man being there when you're off work and being present with your children. But there may be something else that you can be doing. It may be that you're going to get better education. I was just sitting uh, with a friend of mine just yesterday who just got his engineering degree. He's 38 as well. He just got his engineering degree. He's been working his tail off two jobs plus uh, going to school full time. Just got his engineering degree. And as a result, his family is going to be blessed. He just got a job. He was not slacking off in the evening, but he was somebody who was working continually. And he's receiving the blessing as a result of that. In the morning, sow your seed, but in the evening, withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. The honest truth is this, is that as Christians, we should be people who are so honoring of the gifts that God has given us. We should be so honoring of our family and saying, I not, I not only care about you now, I care about you in the future. I not only care about you now, but I care whether you have a massive college debt. Sometimes that's unavoidable. I get that. Some of you are parents in here, and I'm not here to condemn you if your ch child has massive college debt, but I'm just saying this. You know, and I know that if you could have done something differently and paid for that, you probably would have done it. But I just want to say this. You want to allow your kids to excel, to not burden them with these things. Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening, withhold not your hand. Make sure that you're working hard as a Christian, on a regular basis. Now, what's this mean? I want to tell you this. Many within the church have made a financial investment. Many of you have made a great financial investment in the local church. I'm going to talk about it in that sphere. I'm not negating things that you would do on your own within the community, but I just want to tell you, here and now, there's many of you who have uh, invested financially in our church, and there has been a financial, or I'm sorry, a, a return on that investment. It has returned after many days, and what's happened is this, is that there have been some incredible things that have taken place within our church in just the last few months, and some of you see it and some of you don't. But we're going to tell you about that in just a second. But I want to tell you this, that we have major opportunities beyond that. We have opportunities within our community. One example is, is just as a person, the opportunity that I have to learn and to grow in Jesus and then to come to my culture with the truth and just say this, I know that you've experienced Christianity this way, but I just want to show you with my life that that is just not true. And here's the proof. We get to train people to be real Christians, not fake Christians. We get to train people so that they're discipled in Jesus and so that they know and understand him. And as a result, what takes place is this, is that their life grows and they become 
a man within their home who loves their wife. You know, I'm, last week I was talking about the value of women, and I, uh, oftentimes I'm speaking to men, and the reason why I'm doing that is because your value, women, first of all, comes from the fact that you are an image bearer in God, but I just want to tell you, secondly, what really diminishes that oftentimes is having a jerk for a husband. Let's be honest in here, guys. All of us are a jerk at one point or another, more often than not. And you know what we need? We need Ephesians chapter 5 to speak into our life where it says this, that I'm serving my, my wife and it's not like this, but it's like it's on my knees. And it's saying, how do I serve you as a servant? Jesus came. He washed his disciples' feet. He died on a cross. He gave himself. We are speaking to men in our society, in our church. We're not beating down our women. We are lifting them up. They are standing on us as we lift them up and we say, Jesus, look at the bride that you've given me. I've been taking care of her. I've been loving her. How is that not good for our society? How is that not good for our city? Tell me what's wrong with that. People don't understand that. Oh, your, your Christian religion is all about keeping women down. It's all about this headship and all of this stuff. No, you don't understand headship. You don't understand what it means to be the leader of your home. The leader is a leader like Jesus was a leader who gives himself sacrificially for his wife. That's what this means. And guess what? We get to speak into the American home. And we get to talk to men who just say, my life is not working. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are a wreck. How are we for our community? We serve the family. We're serving young men who are caught in the, the addiction of pornography. We're serving young men who are caught in this addiction to money. We're serving young men in this way. We're serving our young women and saying this, don't get a jerk for a husband. That's all we'll tell you, all right? I mean, don't give yourself to a guy who says that he loves Jesus but never attends church, who says that he really wants the things of God but it never really comes up in his life. Well, we say this to those who are single, we say this, you're complete in and of yourself. You don't need someone else to complete you. You're an image bearer of the most high God. And there's nothing that that man or that, that, that woman is going to bring to you that's going to make you more complete. Sure, there's benefits to it. But you're complete as you are. We speak into our community and we build up our community in the way that we teach. But more than that, how do we serve our community? There's... Some other examples. We have more opportunities to say, this is perceived Christianity. And guess what? This is the reality of Christianity. We get to change perceptions. And I want to bring up uh, Tim right now to finish up here real quick. So Tim Porter is one of our elders. He also bears my uh, last name. So... Yep. Son. <laughs> He's my brother. All right. Better yeah. looking, okay. brother. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's fly through this. We're going to do a financial update, right? We're gonna, that was the, kind of the general teaching. We wanted to talk about the practical aspects of where the church is investing. I'm going to try to go quickly so we, so we don't bore you guys to, to tears. Six months ago, I stood up here, and, and we laid out a monthly budget need for our church to, to pay our bills, to pay uh, payroll, reflected uh, bringing Ryan Haybig on last year, 
Uh, and we also laid out a, um, a goal, a huge goal. Well, well, I thought it was a huge goal, right? It was like the, the biggest goal we could come up with, right, with a, a big vision and another hire and more money to do outreach and, and events and, and ministry. And can I just tell you guys, it is incredible the way that our church has responded to that six months ago, right? We weren't planning on doing another financial update. It was it's kind of an annual process, but so much has happened in six months. We felt like we had to come up here and we had to share with you the numbers, the lives impacted, and, and some future plans that we have. So let, let's go through it. I got some, some sweet PowerPoint here that will blow you guys away. Um, the, the budget that we presented in October was 22,000 bucks, right, per month to cover our bills. And we were short. We weren't hitting uh, uh, the, the monthly amount. We were close. But at the end of the year, we, we went back and totaled it up. We brought in $22,300 per month. So we meted the need. You guys, Jesus and you guys, m- uh, met the need. Did I say meted just now? That was awful. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll just... Try to clean this up. Um, 22,300 came in. That was a huge win, okay? So, so that was the, kind of the first step. And, and then we presented this, this huge goal I was talking about. $30,000 per month was, was our big goal. That represented 30-plus percent growth in giving. Uh, and in 2015, so far, $29,500 29, has come in. Per month. Can I get a little round of applause for that? Like, that's insane. It's insanity. Like, we, we had no idea. Honestly, I'll repent of this later, but I never thought we'd do it, right? I didn't. I thought this was an annual goal. Maybe someday we'll get there. And after six months, it appears that we're there. I mean, we're pretty dang close. So that, that's phenomenal. And the celebration continues. We had one-time needs that we, that we uh, presented to you guys. Um, let's throw those up there. So 5,000 bucks, Matt and the church wanted to support an Acts 29 church planter initiative. It's a, like a leadership program to, to train more church planters. We wanted to contribute five grand. We didn't have it, but we wanted to, right? It was like a pledge. Um, and and we, we have the money available. We haven't written the check, but we have the money available. The check will be written any day. That's awesome. We needed computers badly. Our, our uh, media guy, tech guy, Ryan's... Uh, computer was on life support. He desperately needed another one. The sound guys needed another computer, and and uh, we didn't write a check for three grand. Somebody donated some stuff. It was you know shena- church shenanigans. But uh, we got three thousand dollars worth of computers uh, from from some very generous generous people. Thanksgiving, we do this every year, right? So this you wouldn't think it's that big of a deal. Well, our biggest donor, who donated almost half of of the past events. Uh, had a bad year, something couldn't couldn't come up with the money, so it was a little stressful for us as as we watched for money to come in for that program. The money came in. You guys stepped up. Thank you so much. This is such a big deal. And then twenty eight hundred bucks. This one actually we didn't present last year. I think we felt like we were piling on or something. I don't know. It, again, the lack of faith. But through a generous gift, we got a new soundboard. The old one was like twenty years old from. I don't know, someone's garage band or something. I don't know where we got it. But now we get to enjoy the, the, the fruits of a new soundboard, right? So, so that's awesome. So this is, this is all the financial stuff that's come in and, and stuff that we can celebrate. But let's just be clear, right? Outward doesn't exist to raise money, right? We're, we're here to impact lives and specifically 
to see lives transformed by the story and the power of the gospel. So that list is equally noteworthy, if, if not more so. So let's throw this ridiculous slide up. Wait for it. Okay, if you could read this, let me just tell you, you guys would be inspired, right? This is more of a joke. I, I realize you can't read it, but I was like, let's see if we can put all 20 bullet points on one slide just to highlight uh, how much stuff has gone on in the last six months. I, try, I spent the last two weeks trying to figure out what has all happened. This is from classes to Thanksgiving. These are single moms that were supported. These are vehicles given away. Uh, wait. Oh, the, the best one. This is not a joke. But wait, five people baptized on Easter. That is what we exist for. That, that, one deserves, that one deserves some clapping. Listen, in the largest Easter service ever attended, like there's so much good stuff here. And, and by the way, uh, we wrote up a little uh, a write-up. We wrote up a, a packet. It's available in the back at Grand Central. Do yourself a favor. Grab it and read it. It'll change your life. No, not really. No, just grab it and, and read at least the bullet points, right? It's, it's like five pages. It's way too long. But read the bullet points in all seriousness. Please just take a minute, read through that stuff. Thank God for the insane stuff that's happening at Outward. It's awesome, man. I, we love to be a part of this. I, 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 honestly, it was a joy to try to put this list together. I mean, it was just, just phenomenal to see everything that's going on and all the different lives that have been impacted. So that's kind of the past, right? So, so now, now we need to ask ourselves the question, right? If things are going so good, right, if we've got so much that's, that's, uh, uh, that's happening, it, it, clearly Jesus is with this church. He's been with us since the beginning. How could we ask for more, right? How, how could we, is it just being greedy to want to do more? And I, I got to tell you, from the leadership of the church, man, we refuse to take our foot off the gas when Jesus is with us, right, and doing so much good stuff. We want to blow the doors off of normal church, right? And we want to have such a, an incredible impact that people will look at outward and be like, God must be there, man. Those guys, I know those guys and gals. Like, they're not capable of having that big of impact in their city. That, that's the kind of stuff that, that we want to do. And I want to illustrate that with a quick story, right? We went to a man camp a couple of months ago. The shift, the, another church went to, went to man camp too, so they know. What I'm talking about. We, we went to Man Camp and we brought, uh, Matt ran into some Gold Rush guys, the cast and the crew of Gold Rush, if you know that show. So we go, we bring 50 of our guys, and, and by the way, we, I think we helped a third of those guys financially uh, get there. So that's another cool thing the church has done with their money. Our, our church has done with our money. Um, anyways, we go, we have a good time, good teaching, good music. Uh, we rented a house a little bit uh, off to the side uh, so that we could take care of the Gold Rush guys, make sure they were well cared for. We also had, you know, I don't know, five coolers full of meat and a bunch of Traegers running the whole time. It was killer, right? But we also wanted to have our own separate place for our, for our group times where the church would get together and, uh, you know, and, and have, some, have some sessions. And those times were, were awesome, right? We uh, Guys were standing up, right, taking responsibility for, for the things in their life that they weren't happy with. It, it, we were... We were we were coming together. We wanted to, like, make a pact. Like, we want to do things differently in the future. It was awesome, right? It was more like, like, a, like a halftime speech, 
you know, from a football coach than like a Sunday school lesson. Like Matt brought it. It, it was inspiring and, and killer. And, and the Gold Rush guys, I, we didn't know this, but they were listening in. They're, they were watching. And at the end of man camp, uh, Todd, uh, what's his face? Hoffman, Todd Hoffman, uh, grabbed Matt and was like, hey, dude, we had a great time. And Matt's like, uh, cool, you know, awesome. Glad you guys could make it. He's like, no, 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 we had a great time, and we want to do it again. And Matt's like, all right, you know, love to have you. It'd be, be a blast. He says, no, 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 we want to do this again, but we want to do this with non-Christians. And Matt's like, oh, that's, that's cool. That, that's outward. Uh, and we don't want to do it with just 350 guys, which is what all the churches uh, brought total in, in guys. We want to do three times the size. A thousand guys, a thousand non-Christians. And we don't want 15 churches there. We just want a couple churches, maybe outward in the shift, for example. Maybe you guys can, can come with us. Dude, Matt came back and told the leaders this, and our heads were exploding. Like, are you kidding? Like, how could that even happen? Well, how would we even be able to, to pull this off? I mean, I just tell you that story to illustrate this is the kind of crazy stuff that we would love to be a part of. Right, and I don't know if that, that's going to happen in a year. I don't have dates or details or anything. I don't know if it'll happen in five years. I don't know if it'll ever happen, to be honest with you. But, like, this is the kind of cool stuff that we want to do. And, and that highlights kind of the, the impact that we want to have in our city. Why don't you throw the next, the next slide up? We don't have that event to roll out, but we have all kinds of stuff that we want to start working on this summer. Again, this is hard to read. Sorry, this one was not supposed to be a joke, but... Um, Listen, I don't have time to read this stuff, but we have a, an incredible band. I don't know if you guys came to Good Friday, but it was kicking. And those videos are on YouTube, by the way, on Ryan Habig's page. If you guys want to, I can't stop watching them. Uh, we want to do barbecues, festivals. We want to host uh, a sports camp. We did that a couple of years ago at Richmond. Uh, we want to do that again um, and hopefully get in front of some non-Christians. This is, this is where we want to be. And then it's not just outreach. We want, to, we want to spend some time in the church, outward communities, kind of refocusing on those, spending some attention on those, uh, discipleship, leadership training, integrating with the business community, right? There's all kinds of these. Again, in the packet, in the back, it'll change your life. Specifically, at the bottom that you can't read, we want at least 10 baptisms in 2015. Ten more. We want to double the baptisms that we have, uh, have at this church. It's a big goal. But that is what all of this money, all of our time, our effort, this is what we want. Transform lives by the story and the power of the gospel. So this is, <laughs> this is, the, this is the agenda for the fall. Here's the reality. Volunteers do most of the work around here. We have incredible volunteers, and we're, we're so lucky to have them, uh, you guys, uh, who are doing kids and, and worship and everything, the band and hospitality. But we need people to facilitate and coordinate those volunteers, and that's our part-time and our full-time staff. Those guys are running at full speed. They, they are maxed out, and it would be unrealistic and unwise, probably, to think they could continue at our current pace, let alone growth. So, so the idea is to take uh, one of our part-time guys, Matt Baldwin, and tee him up full-time so that he can take over the uh, OC groups, um, community involvement, outreach, and assimilation into the church. So we want to take a risk. It was a risk to hire Ryan Habig. We want to take on Matt Baldwin and have him come on full-time. Uh, we want to do that. 
but if you want to grow, we, we actually need more. We need a bookkeeper. We need uh, some, some admin help, and we need uh, another worship guy. Ryan's taken over some uh, uh, executive pastor duties, and so we want to lighten his load uh, on the worship side, and so that would include another worship, a worship guy to help him out. So let's throw up the, the last or one of the last slides. Every good financial update should have a pie graph. So there you go. This is how we spend money. This is what, how we've spent money so far this year. Uh, you can see ministry staff is, is the, the lion's share of our budget, facilities, ministries, just everything from kids to worship budget to hospitality to outreach to church planning, which we, we do, a, uh, a, uh, we support church planning a ton, 10% per month. Uh, and, and operations is, is kind of the rest. It's the catch-all, you know, postage and shipping. We just found out that uh, most churches spend about 55% in the ministry staff category. Um, so it appears we're understaffed. So after we've added these, these new hires, I think we'll be closer to 55%. So we just wanted to, to, to show that to you guys. Go, go one more slide. <coughs> this literally is the last one. Um, so here's the plan. Obviously, we need to pray. We bookend everything we do with prayer. We've been praying uh, continuously about who we should hire, who that person should be, what their, the skill set should be. Um, but we need to continue to pray. Uh, our next step is to grow our emergency and opportunities fund. That's kind of a fancy name for savings. But savings is really lame, right? That, that, that feels like we're just putting money in an account to not do anything. So emergency and opportunity fund, you know, it sounds a little better. That will seed opportunities to, to work within the city in the future. Uh, we've always operated on a thin margin in that area. We want to grow that. We want to be wise now that there's more, uh, more people on staff. We want to grow that from 10,000 to 35,000. That's a big deal. That's a big, that's a big jump, but, but it's something that we want to focus on and, and make a, a big priority uh, in our church. So that's, a, that's the, I guess, second step. Um, and then we got a new goal, right? We're at 29,000. Like I said, uh, uh, we want to keep pushing it. And, and we've got vision that could support a $40,000 a month budget. So uh, that's the new goal from 29. 35,000 is, is about what we would need if we hired just Matt Baldwin. 40 would be probably the other, the other hires and some additional outreach money and, and money for events. And then remodel the back area, buy the kitchen, that's five grand, uh, and then hire, hire the staff as outlined above. So that's it. Listen, uh, Thank you, guys. I, hopefully I didn't bore you to tears. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for, for, for serving, for volunteering. Thank you for giving and responding the last time we were up here. Uh, we feel very strongly about this. Uh, the leaders have already agreed. That the, the, me and the elders have already agreed to be the first ones to increase our giving. But we just want to boldly ask, listen, if, if you're part of this church, if you want to see things grow and, and you haven't given, please consider giving. And if you are giving, please consider giving more. Salem needs Jesus. Man, our neighborhoods have people who are hurting, who are confused and lost. We want to point them to the greatest thing we know of, and, and that's Jesus. And, and uh, the church is actively uh, working to do that. So thank you for your time. That's something to celebrate. And so I just want to invite the band forward right now. And uh, just as we go into a, a time of worship, I, I just want to ask you to be with us in this. 
Um, if you have questions about anything that's, that's been talked about here, um, even stuff like, ah, that's, that didn't seem right to me or something like that, that's totally fine. We'd love to answer those questions. We want to be transparent with the way that things are spent uh, because we believe that this is, um, that God has, has called us to be stewards over the finances that he's, that he's given us to, to utilize. Listen, just a couple of things. Uh, the way that you can give, uh, even throughout the summer, our, our giving goes down in May and June. And so if you can be focused on continuing to give through May or increasing your giving in this month, I, I want to tell you how that's going to help us. If, we, if we're short of what our budget numbers are, that money has to come out of savings so that we can you know, pay um, rent or payroll or something like that. If the finances continue to come in for May, we don't have to do that, and it doesn't set us back. So the way that you can help us is by continuing to give. If you're not a part of Outward or you're, you're not a believer yet or you're just kind of in a place where you're not sure, I want to encourage you to not give right now. I want, I, I want you to think through it. I want you to give willingly. I want you to give graciously. I want you to give out of the abundance that God has given you. But I don't want you to do that until, until it's time. So this isn't about asking people... Um, uh, to, to give beyond their means at this point. But if you're a part of Outward and you are, are giving, but you're not quite giving, I, I want to encourage you to be close to 10%. If you're not quite giving at that area, I want to encourage you to do so. It's going to be a huge help. If you're already giving, I want to encourage you to think about, pray about what you could give more. I personally am doing that and I'm asking you to do something that I'm already doing. And so... I uh, would appreciate that. You can go to outwardchurch.com forward slash give. There's ways to give. You can set up um, monthly giving that just comes directly out of your account. I believe it sends you an email and asks you before it does that. I actually don't know all of the details with that, but go online and figure that out. You can give a check online through ACH. Um, all of that is available through that. Or you can just drop it in one of the boxes here that's by the exit doors or at the kiosk there. It's a huge help. We want to serve our community to help them understand that we are here for them. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Let's worship together. We're going to go to the Lord's table to celebrate the body and the blood that was shed for us. Let's spend a few moments in repentance over whatever area comes to mind right now. And then let's partake of that while we close the service right now.